but I'm glad to be here this morning, and I want to encourage you this morning that I believe God has got a word for us today, and it's been stirring in my heart for many weeks because I've been planning and uh, just doing a lot of pre-study, and before I left for the Turks and Caicos, had the message pretty much ready to go on the plane ride home, was reviewing, and then uh, this morning, I woke up at four o'clock this morning and just, bing! ready to go. I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go. And, uh, and that is unusual. I mean, at four o'clock, I'm thinking, usually I'm, I'm out. And, uh, but uh, anyway, with that, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to continue our study in 1 Timothy. And you say, well, why are we studying 1 Timothy? Uh, because there are so many things in 1 Timothy that will relate to us as a church. And what, uh, what's interesting, there are two major themes that were resounding uh, issues that needed to be addressed in, uh, in Ephesus. And so Timothy, you remember, was left to be the pastor. Paul was on to his next uh, mission journey, uh, but he's writing back. And the two big things that we'll continually see here is that the church needs sound doctrine and godly living. You can't have one without the other. And again, Pastor Pete did a great job last week, and he's, he started into chapter 3, and we're looking at standards for leadership. What kind of people are fit for serving within the body? And the first seven verses are about pastors, about overseers, elders, or bishops. You can, all those terms are interchangeable. But really, it was about my role as the lead pastor or as a as the pastor and what was interesting jessica said yesterday she said it was kind of nice that you didn't have to preach about what your responsibilities are and uh and again pastor pete i heard you did a great job i'll be listening this week but it starts with uh chapter three um verse one um it says this is or here is a trustworthy saying and again, I'm sure, Pete, that you mentioned this, but um, it, this, is, this phrase is used five times in Timothy. Um, it's like an axiom. It's something that was familiar to the body of believers there. The church would have recognized what Paul was writing. And Paul deals, Paul deals with four areas in the first seven verses. And I'm just going to hit them just super brief. But the first is that a leader or a pastor needs moral character. The first three verses, let's look at those, and, and we, as we read that, it says, if anyone sets out his heart to um, being an, an overseer or a pastor, his desire is a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And you say, man, that's a list of 12 or 11 or 11 or 12 things, depending on how you count that. And it's interesting that right in the middle of that, it says that a pastor should be able to teach, right? They should be able to communicate at some level. And some pastors do better than others at that. Uh, but what's interesting is so many times people in the church or in the church at large will look at someone that's able to teach and say, oh, they're fit for ministry, but it's the other 11 things, the other 10 things, depending on how you, it's the way, you've got to live it out, church. And the pastor is not exempt. There needs to be orthodoxy, 
the strong doctrine with the orthopraxy. It's the same thing. And so moral character. The second is that a leader or a pastor needs to have a strong home life. Let's look at it. Verse 4 says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? The idea here is that we will talk, uh, will we understand that a pastor many times is living in a glass bowl, his family, that people are watching, and rightfully so. But I want you to know that when you think about my family, and when you look at my family, the way that I lead, my kids and my wife are my priority. It has to be that way. And when you're looking on, I want you to, rem- to remember that there's a lot of pressure on my kids and on my wife, and I want you to be gracious to them. And I, as you look at them, there's a lot of pressure. And then it says about the kids obeying, I think, in this, in this uh, thing, the children need to obey, and uh, Lord, help my kids to obey. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, leaders, uh, the pastor's home life needs to be strong, and I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my daughter here. My son will be here second service. But And then in verse 6, we go on. A leader, a pastor's spiritual maturity is absolutely critical. This is huge. Look at it in verse 6. It says, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. That's really strong. But it's talking about a depth of spiritual maturity, a growth that is evident. And what's interesting is there are different pastors at different levels of spiritual maturity. And really, every church needs to decide when they're bringing or calling a pastor, what is the level of maturity that is needed for that group? And then, the, then they can grow from there. And hopefully the church and the people are growing together from there. And then verse 7, a leader's or a pastor's public reputation is absolutely critical. He says he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's traps. Again, a pastor should be well-respected, have good standing in the community, even with the law enforcement, Right? And uh, I'm speaking to myself. And uh, it really, when people talk about the church or talk about a pastor, uh, they shouldn't say, man, I can't stand that guy, right? I mean, th- there should be a, at least uh, a level of respect that's there. And three quick takeaways, and I know uh, that this is important. I want to just say that when we are selecting leaders, or at some point years away from now, when the church here at the Gateway Church will select uh, my predecessor, um, because I won't be the pastor forever, right? Uh, but uh, when selecting spiritual leaders, we need to be careful. We need to spend a lot of time praying. And the fact is, is that the church, you, will become like the leader because of what is being modeled. And so you've got to be careful, number one. Number two, you need to be realistic. No one is perfect. If you were to follow me around, I guarantee you at some point you would be disappointed with, uh, with something in my life. And so don't put me on a pedestal. And I'm sure Pete talked about that last week. But that is not a license for sloppy living in, in regards to righteousness. And so, uh, but be realistic. And then number three, be discerning. 
with pastors. Um, it's a personality is not all that matters. The way that they can communicate is not all that matters. It's moral character. And we're going to see that again today as we continue. What a person is, is more important than what they say. And so there's questions like this. Does his life fit his message? Uh, would his family vote for him if they were being voted on? Uh, would outsiders be surprised? But the most important question, I think, and that we're going to see even this morning, is what about you? Do you live this out? Because these are qualities that a pastor should have, but ultimately it's what the people, what we as believers are called to do and to be. And boy, that is challenging. We're going to see the same sort of challenge today. Now we're going to switch to not pastors and overseers, but now we're going to look at deacons in the next few verses here. And remember, Paul, he had left Timothy at Ephesus. The leadership was corrupt there. There was false doctrine. They were, they were greedy. And now Paul is getting to the nitty-gritty. He is really dealing with some issues within the church, and he's giving standards for the church to follow when it comes to selecting leadership, deacons or trustees, however you would say that. Before we read this, um, these few verses, I want to remind you or kind of have you look at this, though as we read this, you're going to see nothing about duties. This is not talk, this section of scripture does not talk about who answers to who. It does not talk about an organizational structure, a deacons and pastors and how they should work. The point there that is important to me is that style will vary from place to place and leadership structure will vary from place to place. And there's not just one way to run a church. And that's important for us to understand. The second thing is that you will see is that it's again an issue of character. Not, it's not what you can do but who you are. And as I've studied, and uh, there's, I, boy, I could talk for a long time. I did quite a bit of study looking when God chooses a leader consistently through Scripture, it's the heart and character that are more important than the duties that will be performed. And I think that's so true when it comes to a deacon. Now, for time's sake, let, let me read this, starting in verse 8. It says, Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be a husband, the husband of but one wife, and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, I just pray that over these next few moments, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself Help us to understand your word. Let it sink in deep. And Lord, as we talk about deacons, and we'll see here momentarily, the chief servants, Lord, I pray that you would challenge many among us. 
Lord, to rise up and to begin to desire this, this type of leadership, not to be known, but to be able to make a difference. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When you look at the word deacon in the New Testament, it really could be translated better as servant. That's really important for you to understand. We're talking about a servant, the idea of serving tables. Over a hundred times that term deacon is used in the New Testament, and it would have been familiar to the early church. It's true for anyone serving in the church, this idea that we are to be servants of all. Now in verse 8, it says this. It says, Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. What we see here is personal character, once again, is absolutely critical. Very similar to the list uh, in verses 1 through 3, where 12 things are listed there. But here in verse 8, it says that a, a deacon it needs to be worthy of respect. They need to be stately type of individuals, not haughty, but dignified, not frivolous, but they would take their walk with the Lord seriously. The next thing is that they're to be sincere. And in the Greek, that means that they are not to be two-tongued, where they would say one thing to one person over here and then go to the next person over here and say something different. No, they need to be consistent. They need to be trustworthy and they need to be sincere, is what it's meaning. The next thing is that it's not to, they're not to be indulging in much wine. And I know this is a hot topic in our culture today. You know, should dr uh, Christians drink, social drinking, so on and so forth. And I'm not here to debate this, but um, I do want to say that when you look at Scripture in its entirety, when it comes to drinking, you can't make a case for abstinence. Um, that is for sure. Um, but... I do want to mention that drinking wine in the Old Testament, New Testament was much more diluted, most people believe, than it was today. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But in the Greek, this term, not to indulge in much wine, means to not love the bottle. Not to be so uh, infatuated with drinking, with alcohol, with a substance like that that can alter your your existence and the ramifications i believe in our society in west michigan in particular uh, uh we need to be very careful and because of that and because of the potential dangers and the association within our society i would just say this for my family we've decided to have a stance of abstinence in our household and we do that and it's it's just the way it is uh, for us and that's very important to us and I would say that th I believe that's a good choice for anyone that is desiring to serve the Lord. The last thing there in that verse is that we're not to be pursuing dishonest gain. The idea here is that we're not to, uh, it's, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be pursuing wealth or that we should take some vow of poverty, but it does mean that we are not to be greedy. Uh, a deacon is not to be dishonest. A deacon should not be someone that's looking for the next get rich quick 
uh, 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 situation, but they need to be trustworthy in financial matters. And so personal character for deacons, for servants, is number one. The next thing we see in verse 9 is that the spiritual life of a deacon is important. Look what it says. It says they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Everyone say clear conscience. What we're talking about here is sound doctrine, having an understanding of the Bible, but then what that uh, translates into is a clear conscience. In other words, we need to live it out. Then we know the word, but then we're doing the word as we understand it. And I believe, like one pastor said, that the stronger your knowledge of the word of God is, the stronger your conscience will be. So if you're weak in conviction, it results in a weak conscience. If you're weak in the truth, in God's word, in, in, in essence, you're weak in conscience. And so we want to have a clear conscience, so we need a clear understanding of God's word. And then we need to do the word. Our spiritual life matters. The point is do not underestimate the spiritual life of a leader. It's really, really important. So the spiritual life, the personal character. And then in verse 10, we see the service piece of a deacon. Look what it says in the first part of that verse there. It says, they must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. The idea here is Christian service. That deacons should be serving within the body before they become deacons, during and after, I believe, that their servants, whether they have the position, the title, or not. And the idea here is that they need to be tested. So you got to be serving before, and you're watching their lives. We are watching the lives of potential leaders within our church to say who would be fit, who would do a good job. You need to be tested, not with a critical eye, but more to emulate, to say, man, I'd like to be like that, or wow, look how they serve. I could really learn, or I could grow under their uh, ministry. And so Christian service is important. The next thing is moral purity. At the end of that chapter, end of that verse, it says that, um, that there is nothing against them then if there's nothing against them, what that speaks to is that there's a purity, not perfection. We understand that. In verse 12, it says that you need to be a one-woman man. And this is not talking about polygamy, and I know Pastor Pete talked about that uh, last week as well. It's not talking about uh, uh, you know, a divorce in any type of way, but it is an issue of moral character and uh, that you need to be devoted to your spouse and, um, and that speaks to some of that purity piece. And then the fifth thing, and I'm moving quickly here intentionally, is that their home life is absolutely important. Look at verse 12. It says, A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Again, a woman, one woman, man. You've got to be able to handle your kids well. You need to be respected at home. The idea here overall is that you need to have some family skills, not just business skills. A deacon needs to understand 
the home life is absolutely critical. Personal character, spiritual life, the service piece, the purity piece, the home life. Paul is trying to get this across to help Timothy along the way in Ephesus. That's what a deacon is. That's the standard for leadership. The the kind of leader that we would be looking for as we continue to grow, as we continue to evolve as a church. Now, some of you are looking and saying, hey, you skipped verse 11, right? I don't know if anybody mentioned that or or noticed that, but I want to go back to that because it's kind of interesting how it fits, but it says, in the same way, this is a follow-up from verse 8, likewise, deacons, in the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect. And I really believe that the NIV does this verse injustice. I don't believe, uh, as I studied this and looked at this, that it's really talking about the wives of deacons have some sort of responsibility beyond uh, something that anyone else would have. And for example, for, for one reason, is that there's no responsibility for the wives of a pastor or the, uh, the expectation there. Uh, and so why would there be an expectation for the wives of deacons and not for pastors? Um, but it's really, it's a carryover in what it's better translated, I believe, is that women are to be women worthy of respect. And the idea here is not just deacons, but deaconesses. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and that may be an unfamiliar word, but it's true. That women can serve in leadership positions in the church. And I know my friend, Wally Harrison, when he preached uh, uh, in chapter 2 about women in ministry, uh, he did a great job. Listen to that online. But the idea is that, that women are fit to serve. And women are fit, we're fit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And by the way, at the Gateway Church, we've had deaconesses, uh, we've had women board members, and we would welcome the possibility again. I just want to make sure that that is clear. And so the idea, again, is that, that women, so that where it says their wives, it should be the, uh, then women are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, so that's important, not temperate, and trustworthy in everything. And man, if we had women that would rise up and to serve in that capacity, I believe we would be blessed, wouldn't we, church? And uh, that is really, really important. And then verse 13, I like to call it the reward as we look at this, that when deacons serve well, look what it says, verse 13, those who have served well They gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. If a deacon or deaconess serves well, there's a respect that comes. An excellence in standing. Others will use you as an example if God were to call you in that way. I believe that deacons are honored by God and by man. That there is a sense of putting a deacon on a pedestal and you say, well, isn't that sinful? Well, not if that person was not looking for it or seeking it. In James, the Bible says, whoever humbles himself and serves, God will exalt them, will lift them up. And so there's a sense there that that when you serve well, you will have an excellent reputation. 
The second thing it says there is that there will be a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. At first, you read that and you say, what, what does that mean? Um, I like what John MacArthur says. It says, you will gain boldness. And this is what he says um, in this. He says, in other words, that because you are serving well and God is blessing your service, you're seeing his power, you're seeing his grace, you're seeing his movement, you're seeing what he's doing, you're seeing uh, God, God is using you. Things are happening. Your life is purposeful as a deacon. It will energize you for greater service. That's a reward. That's a benefit of being a, a, a strong deacon. That's the idea. It will make you more bold so that as you serve the Lord, successful service will build confidence and assurance. That's what it means there. And I'll tell you, I've served alongside of some incredible deacons, board members, and elders. And God, I've seen that where there's been a respect and there's been a confidence that has been built. And I'll tell you, God, I believe, wants to speak to some of our hearts, some of your hearts, to begin to stir inside of you a desire to serve in these types of capacities. Going back to verse 1, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, and I would say you could add in there as well, to be a deacon, he desires a noble task, and it is. It's something that is a special place within the church, and there's two takeaways that I want to kind of close with to, as we wrap up this morning. The first is, that, is this, that it is absolutely critical church to have outstanding leadership to have good leadership the church will mirror the leadership at a pastoral level and at a deacon level and really at a service level even beyond that the most important decisions we will make as a church for those of you that call this your church home, is not about a building program or about a program for ministry. The most important decisions we will make are all around who we allow to be our leaders. And so selecting leaders is absolutely critical. Before you ever vote on a pastor or a lay leader, to serve as an elder or a deacon. Can I just encourage us that this needs to be a matter of prayer, that we are seeking the Lord in these ways? And uh, I just want to say uh, that I am thankful for the leadership at the Gateway Church. These are men at this point of integrity and outs that are outstanding. Um, we do not have grumblers or complainers uh, on our board um, we, we are really blessed, and our board our, of elder and deacons, they love the Lord, and they fit these, this, they emulate really the character and the spiritual lives, the servanthood, um, the service piece, the purity in their home lives, and, uh, and I'm very thankful for them. And, uh, and just, just as we, for those that are here, uh, we got Bob Boss up here. Just give us a little wave, just because I know some people are unfamiliar with who serves in these capacities. Uh, Bob Boss here. And John Taylor over here. He's serving as elder. 
for us. And Larry Scott serving in the back. Okay, give, give him a wave. And then I think that's all that's here at this service. Is that right? Yeah, okay. And so I want to say thank you. And then also, I'm thankful for our pastoral staff, uh, for Bobby and for Pete and uh, for the rest of the staff. I believe that God has put us together uh, for great, great impact potential uh, in our community. And uh, I'm thrilled. The second wrap-up thing is that I kind of bring this back, and I'm sure Pete did this last week, is that these standards are not just for those aspiring to be uh, to hold these types of positions. These standards are for everyone. And this is really hard to understand uh, and hard to grasp at times, that there's not one of us here that are exempt from that list of 12, that list of four uh, in verse 8, that we could take that th- these particular verses that we've been studying the last two weeks as a guide, as a rule, as a standard to compare our lives and to ask the question, how am I doing? And I know that's a difficult question and to really take some time to look at, am I respectable? Am I this or that? All these things that are listed in these verses, we as God's people are called to be working towards those things. And we may not get them 100% all the time, but church, that is the standard. And really, as we grow, as you grow in the Lord, we need to hold each other accountable. We need to hold each other up and encourage one another in these areas. And where I'm weak, someone else may be strong, and they come alongside, and we work together for God's glory. And it's a beautiful picture of the family of God, discipling one another, helping each other along the way. And I believe that God, He is doing that and will continue to do that as we allow His Word to wash over us in these areas. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to crack the your word open and to study it, to be able to communicate it. I pray, Lord, that there will be nuggets of truth that will sink deep in our hearts today. And Lord, that we would walk away challenged, inspired to emulate what your standard is. And Lord, I thank you, God, for the leaders that have been established here, that we're walking together in unity. And God, there's great strength in that. And I, we are, we're so grateful. But God, I pray for our future, Lord, that as we continue to grow, as we continue to press on, Lord, that you would put it in the hearts of those that are even here this morning, a desire to serve in these noble tasks. And Lord, I pray that you would equip us and help us in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.